Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast, made with Zencaster. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On today's episode, I'm going to be taking you inside a brothel, literally. Now, to give you a little bit of background and context for this, a couple of months ago, I taught a study abroad course in Amsterdam on sex and culture. I took a group of sex therapists from the United States to the Netherlands with me to learn about sex through a cross-cultural lens. And we talked about a lot of different things. We covered sex education, sex work, drug policy, and so much more. Now, this was the first time that I taught this course for a group of professionals. I've previously taught this course several times through universities for graduate students who are studying to become psychologists. So this was a slightly different experience by taking a group of established professionals over with me, but it was a fantastic learning opportunity and we had an amazing time. Now, every time I teach this course, I try to do something a little different. And this time I took my students inside a brothel. So we rented out this high-end gentleman's club for an afternoon. And to be clear, we did not rent this out for sexual purposes. I've learned I need to be clear when I tell people we rented out a brothel because we didn't rent it out for sex. We rented it out for sex education. So we went at an off time in the afternoon when the brothel is not in business. And we brought in a group of local sex educators and people who work in the sex industry in various ways. And basically, each expert sat in a different room and students floated around in small groups to ask our experts any questions that they had uncensored. So it was this very intimate learning experience in a very unique environment. Now, to give you a little bit of context for what the club was like, I think when people hear the term brothel, they might get a lot of ideas about maybe what it looks like or what the feel of that sort of environment or atmosphere is. But the place that we went was not in the red light district in Amsterdam. Rather, it was in this very residential part of the city in a very unassuming, very beautiful brick building. And so you wouldn't know from the outside that it was a brothel. But once you step inside, the first floor is this very sleek and swanky high-end champagne bar. And that's where, during business hours, all of the business begins. So this is a club where you primarily have male customers and female clients who work there. And so in the champagne bar, you have the connections that are made. And then when people agree to the terms, they rent out a room upstairs by the hour with a minimum of one hour, but sometimes they rent the room for much longer than that. And when you walk into one of the rooms upstairs, it's really like a high-end hotel room where there's a big bed and a gigantic jacuzzi tub and a lounging area. And so it has this very high-end, very intimate feel to it. So that's kind of what this atmosphere was like where we were having this learning opportunity. Now, I actually visited the brothel twice on my course because I was actually teaching two one-week courses back-to-back. -back. And so the first week where we went and we had this learning experience, I found it to be so eye-opening and so fascinating that I really wanted to share it with the world. So when I went back the second week, I recorded podcast segments with each of our guest speakers. So that's what this episode and the next episode are going to be all about because I collected so much great information that it was 
was too much to just put into a single episode. So today, you're going to be hearing from two sex workers. The first, Jennifer Yonker, is a former sex worker who worked in the industry for about eight years. And she also worked specifically in that club that we were visiting. So she can give you an inside look at what it's like to work in a high-end escorting service in the Netherlands. Jennifer now works outside of the industry. Specifically, she works as a sex coach, and she helps women who want to transition out of the sex work industry to build skills and create a resume that can help them to find other forms of employment. And given the high level of stigma associated with sex work, this is sometimes a pretty challenging business to be in. So she's going to help us better understand what happens when somebody wants to transition out of the sex work industry, while also giving us an inside look at what her experiences were actually like. My second guest is Tika Stardust, who is a current sex worker and also a social worker, and she works primarily with persons with disabilities, and that includes persons with physical and psychological disabilities. So she's going to give us an inside look at what her work is like, how she got into that industry, and we'll talk about some of the complex and challenging issues associated with that, including issues of consent when dealing with patients who have psychological deficits. Now, if I can add just one caveat before we dive in. For most of my guests in this episode and the next, English is not their first language or their primary language. And some of my guests were a little bit concerned and a little bit hesitant about coming onto a podcast and talking about very complex, controversial, sensitive subjects in a language that is not their primary language because they were worried about not necessarily having the right words to describe some of the issues that we're going to be talking about. And I just wanted to bring that to your attention because if somebody says something that doesn't have your preferred wording, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is some bias on their part or that they lack sensitivity to some of these issues. Just keep in mind that I'm talking to people in a different cultural context and that English is not necessarily everyone's first language. And so sometimes the language used might not be the preferred language or the language that you're used to hearing when talking about some of these issues. And I found that this is an important point to bring up to my students whenever I take them on a study abroad course, because they have their own preferred language for talking about sexuality issues. And sometimes they might hear a speaker from a different cultural background who talks about things in a different way. And sometimes they feel a little bit triggered by some of the language. And so I think it's just important to be sensitive to the fact that we're talking to people from different cultural backgrounds and that there are sometimes translational issues when we're talking about some of these issues. So just keep that in mind. And please, if there are words that you don't find to be part of your preferred vocabulary for talking about this, please don't automatically discount what they're saying and please try to engage with the ideas. So with that said, let me take you inside a brothel in Amsterdam. Before we dive in, get off the couch and back into the bedroom. Blue Chew can give you the confidence you need. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. Simply sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once approved, you'll receive your prescription in days, discreetly shipped direct to your door. No doctor's visit and no pharmacy waiting line. As I've said on this show many times before, there's nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. 
As a special deal for listeners, you can try Blue Chew free when you use promo code PSYCH, P-S-Y-C-H, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code PSYCH, to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thanks to Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. My next guest is Jennifer Yonker, and I am so excited to speak with her. She is a former sex worker who now helps women who were sex workers who want to transition out of the industry. So we're going to give you an inside look at what it's like to be a sex worker in the Netherlands, and then also what the process is like when people want to move out of or transition out of that industry. So Jennifer, let me start by having you introduce yourself to us. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into sex work in the first place. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I am Jennifer. I am 47 years old. And I used to be a sex worker when I was 31 until I was 39. And I stepped into the industry voluntarily. Basically, sex work intrigued me. It started to intrigue me when I was in my late 20s. And at some point, I met a friend of mine. She was doing high-end escort. And she started telling me her stories. And then it started intriguing me even more, of course. And then the opportunity arised for me to go to one of her clients. And I did. And I had the best experience. And that's when I decided to join at the same agency she works at. I felt very confident in my role as a sex worker. I felt very feminine. I chose the high-end escort as a sex worker. And I worked for a very good agency. So my experience is positive. And I share my story and I'm very open about sharing my story because I feel it's important to also share the positive sides of sex work. Thank you so much for sharing that and for your willingness to be open about a subject that a lot of people just never talk about because there is a lot of shame and stigma in sex work. And as you mentioned, there are women who enter this profession voluntarily, also men, persons of different genders and sexualities. So sometimes it is a chosen profession and people can have very positive experiences with it. So you worked at the more high end. And so when people visit the Netherlands, they tend to think more about the red light district and sort of the the quick service version of sex work. And you said something really interesting when I was speaking to you about this last week, where you said that the work at the windows in the red light district is much more it's much more taxing physically versus working in a brothel is much more taxing energetically because you have to really engage with the client. And it's not just about a physical interaction. There's also the emotional interaction. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of what is the experience like working in this brothel setting and how much of the time is actually focused on sex versus on emotional connection with the other person? So... Everything in the brothels that I worked at was curated to keep the client with you for hours. So basically, when a client would walk in and you were chosen, we would start with champagne. We would start to have a conversation. And during that conversation, you could feel what role 
you were about to play with your client because every client is different. So in the clubs, the girls in the club want to stay with one client for multiple hours. That's what you aim for instead of every hour a different client because it is a much of a role play. So the energy is better if you are with that one client, you can engage more. What I did with, with my clients was talk to them a lot cat and mouse game, using my sexuality to intrigue them, a lot of massage, a lot of erotic engagement, everything except the sexual, the penetration part, can I say? (laughs) Everything except that, because we both knew, client and sex worker knew, it would be over after that. So the clients who came to clubs like this, they wanted an experience, they just wanted an experience that could last longer than one hour in most cases. And we knew exactly how to provide that. You would learn as you go. And I liked working like this. I liked building up the, the moment. I liked the moment leading up to the sex part. And to be honest, the sex part could last maybe 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, and everything before that was a lot of flirting, you know, a lot of touching and things like that. Yeah, and you bring up an important point that the actual sex portion of the sex work that takes place here in the Netherlands is is actually pretty quick. And if you're looking at the red light district and the windows where people buy sex, the average amount of time that men are behind those windows with a worker is only five to six minutes, right? With a brothel, it sounds like maybe the sexual part lasts a little bit longer because maybe there's a little bit more foreplay. And also because you want to keep them there longer versus if you're working in the windows, it's quick service and you want to see as many clients as you can in a short period of time. So those are two different worlds of sex work. And I would imagine that they draw people with different personalities to them, you know, and so you're, you're someone who's just very captivating and engaging. And so working in an environment where conversation is a big part of it, I'm, I'm sure suits your personality really well. But for somebody who maybe doesn't have that same energetic gift of personality, the brothel setting might not be right for them, because you're not going to be able to, to keep them coming back for more. So I think that would be an interesting study to do at some point is what are sort of the personality characteristics of women who get into different segments of the sex work industry. But that's, that's a whole other future study for me to do. So in terms of the work that you did as a sex worker, it sounds like you enjoyed it for the most part overall. But when we talked last week, you talked a little bit about how you make money as a sex worker working in a brothel. And it's not just about the room rental rate. There are, you know, the ways that you try to upsell a client on, say, champagne or for kinks and fetishes and so forth. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and sort of how at the high end this works and where the real money is in sex work? So basically, when you look at a club setting, the client would pay 300 euro per girl per hour. And the 300 euro didn't entail kissing or other sexual wishes. It was just basic sex. If a client wanted to kiss or if he had like a fetish that he wanted to experience, it was up to the sex worker if she delivered that service and how much she wanted she wanted to ask for it. So that basically was a bit of an upselling part. 
And you could also make money off the champagnes that the client would buy for you. And the client knew that we were only allowed to drink champagne. Let me start. (laughs) And that was never an issue because when they decided to walk into a club like this, they already knew they were going for, they wanted the experience and that champagne was a part of that. If a client has a specific fetish, he will tell you at the beginning of a conversation that you have with him and he's willing to pay for that. So for us in a club setting like this, a lot of clients liked coming to clubs like this because they were not going to get judged. We were allowed to decline a client very gracefully, of course, but there was always someone who would provide. So they liked coming here. And for us, it was a very good way to make extra money. So I'm curious, can you tell me in your years as a sex worker, what was your favorite part of the job and what was your least favorite part of the job? I know that you like to share the the positive side and experience, but I'm sure there were also aspects of the job that you didn't like or maybe that were challenging. So what were your experiences in terms of the best parts and the worst parts? What I didn't like that much was as an escort was not knowing where I was going or who I was going to meet. So you have to imagine you have, when you go to a hotel of a client, we would usually meet at the bar, but you have a few seconds to decide if you're staying or going. You know, you don't have time to deliberate, you know, and wait five minutes. You have to decide in a few seconds. So you have to rely on your intuition and that can be pretty challenging. What was also challenging were really quiet clients because you want to keep the energy high and you want to keep the energy going, but not everybody is like that. You know, a a lot of clients can be very quiet. And the late nights were challenging at some point. You know, we would start, we had to be in the club at 8 p.m. until 5 a.m., but most of the clients back then, the the good client would enter the club at 4 a.m. And then they would stay. <laughs> they would stay for hours. So you could easily go home at 3 in the afternoon or, yeah, it would it was tiring at some point. It was tiring. And your your lifestyle is a bit more unhealthy because we would eat a lot of fast food, you know, drink a lot, smoke a lot. It was so different. That's fascinating. And I appreciate you sharing all of that because I think people don't think about all of the other stuff that goes into working in a brothel and how that can lead to this unpredictable lifestyle because you don't know how long the client is going to want to spend with you versus if you're working at the windows in the red light district, you you know how long that interaction is going to be before it starts. And it's often actually a lot shorter than what people negotiate for. You know, the the standard going rate that I hear in the red light district is that it's 50 euros for 15 minutes, but the average person is in there for about five minutes. And so, you know, they're leaving a lot of time on the table, right? So you don't necessarily have to work, say, as many hours if you can squeeze more clients into a shorter period of time. So again, they're just two totally different worlds. So tell us a little bit now about how you transitioned out of sex work. Like what is it that made you decide to move on from this industry and then also to start the business that you have now where you help women transition their careers? Well, I was 39. So for me, it was time to move on. 
and I had the feeling I had to work with women. I didn't know how, I didn't know what, but something in me said I had to be of service of helping women. And at some point, my intuition just said, just, it's time to stop. It's time to do something else, you know, just get up, walk outside. I was sitting in a club when I heard my intuition speak very clearly. And I actually got up and handed in my key and I walked outside. I had no plan, nothing prepared. I just knew I had to head into a different direction. So after years of transitioning, I now coach women, you know, who want to quit the business. I coach them into reinventing themselves because I was 31 when I started working in the industry. So I had a very different mindset. You know, it's very different when you are 31 starting in the industry and I did it part time for a lot, lot of years. But the girls I work with are they started when they were 22 or 21. So, and the average amount of years in this industry is five to six. So those years are very important transformational years. And they really need to reinvent themselves first. And then we start searching what it is that they like, because there's a lot lot of role play going on. So there's so much to figure out, but we make it a positive journey. We perceive it as positive because you you are finding out who you are. And that's a positive thing. That's a nice thing. It's a nice journey. It's a journey of self. And it's very rewarding. I get a lot of DMs of girls who worked in the industry and want to share something. It's because I'm very open about it. Yeah, I think it's very rewarding. Thank you so much for sharing that and for helping us to better understand more about this industry and sort of, you know, how it works and so forth. But in terms of the work that you do now, helping women to transition out of sex work, you mentioned when we discussed this previously that you need to help these women develop a lot of basic life skills and that that's especially true for women who enter the industry at a really young age versus you started at 31, you had already had other jobs prior to that. And so when it came to writing a resume, you had some other skills and things that you could put on there. And, you know, you also mentioned that in the brothel that you worked in, they actually wanted you to work full time and do it part time because they didn't want you to experience burnout. They wanted you to still like the job, which I thought that was also another interesting angle there that a lot of people wouldn't assume or predict. But so so let's talk about how you help these women transition and, and, you know, sort of the basic challenges that you have to help them overcome, especially if sex work is all they've ever known and they've never had any other type of job. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of communication. Basically, when you start talking to them on a daily basis, they find out themselves what they like. They just need someone to talk to. They just need someone to talk to. And we just we just dive into them and we find out what their skills are. Because obviously, a lot of girls have a lot of skills. They just don't know it because they've been playing a role for so long. So we dive into them. You know, what do they like? What do you want? You know, what role do you want to play? It's all about them. And it's funny that they perceive that they really enjoy that because sex work is all about someone else, you know, using your sexuality, your sensuality for someone else. And in this case, we dive into them. So 
that alone is an experience for these women, you know, these girls. And it's a journey of, it can take a, it can take a while. It's not a journey of a few weeks. It's a journey of three months, four months, five months. It depends on the, on the girl I'm working with. So I start with a talk because I want to know who I'm going to work with. The most important thing is that I really, really need to decide that I want to quit the business because I am not going to put my energy in someone who is not sure. That's not what I do. I really work with girls who are adamant on doing something else. They just need a helping hand. And then after that talk and I meet them in person, I can feel their energy. Yes, they want to quit. And then we start to traject the program. And it's just organic. It really depends on the person I have next to me because everybody is different. Everybody is different. But what they all have is that they just need to know who they are. Yeah. So the focus is on them. That makes so much sense. And it, it's so interesting the way you frame that, that, you know, in the sex works industry, it's it's a service industry where it's all about serving someone else. And this is the opposite in what you're saying, where it's focus on yourself and what is it that you really want? What what brings you pleasure in life, right? You're really flipping things around. And if you've been in the industry for a long time and you've gotten so used to focusing on other people's pleasure that you've subverted your own, you know, that can be sort of an abrupt transition. I guess just one other quick question I have for you is that I know there's a lot of stigma and shame around sex work. You know, a lot of people think that in the Netherlands, everybody's accepting of sex work and all of these other things. But we know that the attitudes here, the reality is that it's very mixed. And if you mentioned that you were a sex worker on a resume, that's probably going to close down a lot of opportunities for you. So how do you help women who are wanting to transition out sort of overcome that shame and, and, and stigma so that they can transition into the type of career that they really want and, and be able to follow their passions? Well, at first you have to lie. <laughs> you have to lie on your resume. Otherwise you will not get a fair shot. In my case, I did it part-time for a long time. So I, I had a resume without any gaps. But for these girls, you have to make up something. You have to make up something. And when they are in their transitioning and they did find another job and they they do find their strength, then they can decide for themselves if they want to be honest about it or how they are going to move on from it. But the first thing what we do is we have to lie on the resume. People are not as open as you might think. Before I started my own business, I used to work at the other club of this owner, Bonton. We did tours. And during the tours, we tell about the sex industry, basically what I do now. And we had to find booking channels to sell our tickets. And they all said no, because it had to do with the sex industry. It was a former sex worker telling a story. But the word sex worker, I don't know, people... They immediately shut down and they, want, they don't want to have anything to do with it. When they, she invited them to come do the tours and then afterwards they said yes, because they've experienced the tour and they found out that it's very educational. But the first initial reaction that people have is just negative. It's negative, but that's all you see in television. You hardly ever see anything else but the negative stuff. Yeah, so 
the girls, it's really difficult to make the transitioning without lying on the resume, especially when it's still a big secret for in their surroundings. For me, it's different. I've always been open about it, always open since since from the start. So I chose not to lie about it. I didn't have to put it on my resume. But if someone would have asked me, I would never lie about it. Also back then. Well, it sounds like it's different approaches are going to work for, for different people, but you're going to help people find the approach that is right for them. And it sounds like there could be a lot of complexities and challenges in moving on. And so it's really important to have people like you who are doing this work that you're doing to give people the resources that they need. Because I think a lot of people end up feeling trapped in the sex work industry because they don't have any other skill set. And if they tell people that they work in the sex work industry, that's going to close off all these other opportunities. So we appreciate you and, and the work that you're doing and providing this resource for women who want to transition out. So thank you so much for your time and for being with you. This was absolutely fascinating. And I have loved talking with you last week and this week. And I hope we get to talk much more in the future. So thank you again so much for your time. My pleasure. It was my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jennifer as much as I did. She has such a fascinating story. I have another interview with a sex worker coming up. Her name is Tika Stardust, and she's going to give you another perspective on sex work in the Netherlands. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. The Modern Sex Therapy Institutes provides continuing education, certifications, and a PhD in sexology to mental health and medical professionals across the globe. MSTI is a one-stop shop for ASEC sex therapy certification requirements, including education, sexual attitude reassessment, and supervision. MSTI offers flexible payment plans and learning options. Attend from anywhere in the world and learn from experts on sex and relationships. For more information on their programs and offerings, visit ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. That's ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. Want to last longer in bed? Our friends at Permessin can help. Check out their signature delay spray, which has been clinically shown to help men last longer in bed. You can customize it for your own body and desensitize only the areas you want. Use it alone or in combination with other techniques for faster, more reliable results. Check it out and see why it has thousands of five-star reviews and is physician-recommended. Permescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee on all orders, free shipping on orders over $10, and discreet shipping to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place an order at permescent.com, where you'll also find an extensive selection of lubricants, supplements, condoms, and more. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T. Com. My next guest is Tika Stardust, and I am so excited to talk to her. And I want to start, Tika, by asking you to introduce yourself to us. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Thank you very much for meeting me here. And they asked me to come here and talk about sex work with disabled people. So I visit people who are very ill or very old or people with dementia or people who have some kind of disability that and they have a problem with finding intimacy or sexuality that they they, ha they need help for this and then they can mail or phone me and I can visit them. So you provide sex work for people with disabilities, and that can be physical or psychological. And so I'm curious as to 
how you got into this line of work. And if you did sex work before with an able-bodied population and then you transitioned over. So how did you get into the area of doing sex work with persons who have disabilities? I was working as a social worker. I'm now again working as social working with people, uh, queer people. And when I was working years ago as a social worker, uh, my boss had not enough people to see people one by one who were autistic and mentally disabled. Then he asked me, can you work for a while till I have enough autistic people for you to visit on a project with disabled people who want to have care? They make this new project and I was working there. And then I meet people. Sometimes I give them food. Sometimes I was cleaning their room. Sometimes I was coordinating a part of the project. And there people uh, told that they miss intimacy or sexuality. And some people who were their whole life disabled, they sometimes can have an idea about sexuality as if it is so big. But if you cannot experience anything about it, then you, you can be very frustrated. And then I uh, see that we help people with uh, their uh, food. If they cannot take their food themselves, we can do uh, grocery, uh, go to the shop for them and clean their house. But if they miss intimacy and sexuality, how, how can we help them? And then I have heard about organizations that bring handicapped people and who want to have experience with sexuality or intimacy that they miss. And I was going to some organization like this. And then I was thinking I can visit a person who is handicapped who can talk with me. Then I visit somebody and... Ah, it was good to do this. And then the man from the organization who was handicapped himself, he said, yes, we have many people on the list that want some visiting. Will you visit more people? And I was thinking, oh, but I have my social work. And the social work then was uh, we had still less money to give the people who I work for the things they need. So I sometimes I could not sleep from this point to know this. And then I thought, oh, I can visit people and make them happy if they miss uh, intimacy or sexuality. When I, I should do this more, I think I have to be open about it because I don't want to live uh, two lives. So okay, then I was doing this and so it happened. And then I, for more than 10 years, I was basically a sex worker for handicapped people. And now for two and a half year, I'm half social worker uh, with queer people and half sex worker with handicapped people. That is fascinating. And thank you for sharing all of that with us. A question that I have for you is that, is particularly when you're talking about people with mental or psychological deficits or, or disabilities, in the United States, we deny them from having any type of sexuality. 
because we presume that they cannot consent to sex. But in the Netherlands, that seems to be viewed very differently, where people, regardless of their ability status, you know, sex is seen as something that has benefits to them and there is an importance in meeting their intimate needs. And so I'm just curious if you can tell us a little bit about your thoughts on this this issue of consent in working with people with mental deficits or, or intellectual disabilities. Yeah, you mean that people with mental disabilities were also on the list that they want to have visit and they live in a, not in a, alone in a house, they live in a place where people help them. Then when they tell about them, first I was thinking, oh, I think I cannot help them. And then I tried and it was very good, very easy. I, I was, it was fine to help them. And you, you think that in Holland it's normal that we do this, but it is not really true. It is not totally accepted, uh, the work I'm doing, and it is not uh, on every organization where handicapped people live. They will help the people in this way. It is some organizations think, no, we will not do this, and some organizations think it is very good to do this, and in between, everything exists. So it can be that some family of handicapped people, they say, no, no, I don't want this. Do, don't do this. And families say, I want to that you help my son or my father, also with uh, people with dementia. And so it, it is very touchy if a daughter or sometimes even a partner ask help for in this way. Yes, and I think you raise a really important point that attitudes toward sex work in the Netherlands are complicated. <laughs> it's not the case that everybody here is accepting of sex work in general and including in some of these specific forms that we're talking about for persons with disabilities. And so that's something that has been a very valuable learning experience for me coming over here because in the United States, there tends to be this view of Dutch sexuality as being very open and very liberal. And I think there's sort of this assumption that everybody is supportive of sex work. And, you know, we hear about things like government subsidies for sex workers for the disabled. And so, you know, so in America, there's this perception that it's all very accepted, supported. So so tell us a little bit more about that. What's the truth when it comes to the government subsidies for sex for the disabled? Yeah, that is very good to, to talk about because we had a time that I think some 15, 18 years ago, that it was a little bit more easy. And there sometimes some handicapped people can have some money from the government or from the insurance to find a help for sexuality. But now it's nearly not possible anymore because in the Politic situation changed, and I am with people to fight for the rights for handicapped people, and we want to change the situation. Politically, it is nearly not possible now, and uh, the level is more low. So it is very difficult. Uh, so 
I think people, when they have frustration about missing intimacy or sexuality, some in some organizations they give them medicine and then they feel nothing about their sexuality and also nothing about anything else. So they use more uh, easier uh, medicine and uh, medicine costs money also, but there's somebody gets money from medicine, we know. And so sometimes they say, yeah, it, uh, money to ask a sex worker for handicapped people. Yes, it is. But I think it's maybe medicine, give the medicine costs more. And for the health, I think medicine is not good. And uh, for the experience, and we all know here that uh, they have found out that sexuality and intimacy uh, is a a basic thing that you need in life to evaluate and feel better. And if something that you need, basically, you have not, then all things in life will stagnate. So we're running short on time, but I have another question for you that I think is important. So as somebody who has worked in this area for a while, do you think that attitudes toward sex work, toward the work that you do, have changed significantly in the Netherlands? Is it becoming more conservative with respect to how people view it? And do you think that the laws are going to change again in the future? So what are your thoughts on the future of sex work in the Netherlands? Now, I don't know, and I'm worried about this. Sometimes you hear, oh, people who work do sex work with disabled people. Oh, that's very good. And as if it's better than a normal sex worker. And I think, no, it's not better. It's all good sex work is normal work so that's good and i don't like if they say that's sex work for handicapped people that's better no it's not better and it is sometimes for handicapped people maybe it's better if they say it's not sex work because if they say it's not sex work then maybe they think they can have some insurance they can have some Uh, money for government but they think and I don't know if if this will help and there are people who are fighting this way and oh some years so I I don't know if something will go in a better way in a few times I don't know Yeah. And that's kind of the reaction I've gotten from some of the other sex workers I've spoken to here is that there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. And you see a lot of people with very mixed attitudes and it depends on who's in power and who's going to be making these decisions. And that's going to have implications for anyone who works in the sex work industry, whether they're in the red light district working behind windows or whether they're someone like you who works more with patients in care settings. And so all I can say is it's going to be fascinating to watch and see what happens. But, you know, we're not sure exactly how all of this is going to to shake out in the end. Thank you so much, Tika, for being here with me. It was fascinating to, to speak with you and learn about your work. And we appreciate you sharing your information. Thank you very much for doing the interview with me and wish you a lot of success with your work. Thank you. I sincerely hope you enjoyed your visit inside a brothel today. 
In the next episode, I'm going to take you back inside the brothel for two more interviews. One of my guests is a social worker who works with victims of human trafficking in the sex work industry. And the other is a sex educator whose job it is to educate educators on how to teach adolescents about sex. You're definitely not going to want to miss that episode, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on it. Thank you, as always, for listening. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, which was made on Zencaster, visit my website, sexandpsychology at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Lee Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Lee Miller. And if you want to see what our experience in Amsterdam was like, scroll back through my Instagram account and you can find plenty of photos on there. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.